The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it's time for our Friday Forum and in studio with me today, Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin TD and Spokesperson for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, Jim O'Callan, Fianna Fáil DD for Dublin Bay South and Elaine Lachlan, Political Editor of the Irish Examiner. Uh, thinking's going on, how much um, thinking is being thunk, uh, who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little while. But I suppose the dominant story of the week was still, strangely enough, RTE. Uh, what did you make of the travails of RTE, Elaine? Yes, well, I think uh, that media committee that uh, that happened this week where we did have senior members of RT again come in for another grilling and it seems like it's it's endless at this stage, the amount of, of time that has been taken up in this. And we still have a lot of questions that need to be answered. Um, but I think perhaps uh, the the heads at RT thought that they could go into that committee um Stressing the fact that they will be, well, at the moment, we know that they're more than 21 million down in TV licence revenue, and that's going to increase. Uh, you'd imagine next year again, that'll be 21 million till the end of the year. That's what's anticipated now. Um, and I think they probably thought they could go in with that, get a bit of sympathy from TDs and maybe drum up a plan uh, to draw down that funding that they need now and that will be on top of a 35 um, yeah, million I mean they're, they're looking for some sort of plan before the budget now <laughs> what kind of a plan that would be so uh, comprehensive and do the kind mm. of thing that might need to be done could be drawn up so quickly and be credible. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, and it will need to be comprehensive. That's it. And it's hard to believe that there's time between now and the budget for a credible plan to be formulated. I mean, these are big issues that need to be tackled. There's a crisis of confidence with the national broadcaster and I I don't think anyone in this room would would dispute that. I mean, it's obvious when you're talking to people. So that trust has to be rebuilt. The credibility needs to be re-established and structural change obviously needs to happen. It was very clear listening to uh, the committees and I think both the the PAC and the media committee did a good job in in drawing out the issues but we're still left with with plenty of questions as to how how things happened the way that they did. There's obviously senior people who still haven't uh, made themselves available uh, to be interviewed and to be questioned and I think that's that's fairly wrong. I'd like to see those Mm. people, you know, sitting in front of the committee and just answering questions but I think time is very tight for a credible plan, for a plan that's going to work and for something that's going to actually do the job of rebuilding. We talk about some of the suggestions that were thrown up in minute. But Jim, what is your response to what you saw this week? Well, I'm getting concerned about it now, Pat. Like This has been going on for three months. The damage that has been done to RTE and let's be clear, most of it's self-inflicted. I'd be fearful that it's now getting irreparable. And if this narrative continues for another three, four months, I would be concerned that RTE will lose the support of the public, will find it difficult to operate. So like, I think we need to delineate functions. It's Kevin Backhurst's job and the management of RTE's job to put in place proper financial management for how they operate the programme and the show and the, the all, all over the uh, programmes and television and radio. It's the function of politicians to come up with a policy as to how we can fund public sector broadcasting, public service broadcasting. That's a much bigger issue. But like we're running out of time for it. And I think we both need to delineate our functions. And I think it's the responsibility of politicians now to come forward with a proper funded packages to how public sector broadcasting, public service broadcasting is going to be funded into the future. And it can't just be as it was in the past where license fee, everything goes to RT. We need to delineate and define what is public sector broadcasting. You know, this has been going on for quite a while in terms of deficits. And, you know, there has been a hemorrhaging of advertising income to the online space. 
um, television licenses have been eroding long before the the uh, revelations of the summer, uh, but obviously that erosion accelerated. So there was a need possibly to look at the, the funding of RTE. But things like flip-flops and all of that, I mean, they're only maybe symptoms of a greater malaise in terms of the way the organisation... Yeah. I suppose they've become the narrative. The narrative that's out there now is that Orgy is an organisation that is run with great financial mismanagement. Kevin Backhurst has to change around and reverse that narrative. And like I suppose Ryan Tuberty was unfortunate. He became the personification of all the problems with Orgy, but we can see there are much broader issues there that need to be dealt with and need to be resolved. Part of the problem, I suspect, is that Orgy always had the safety net of the state behind it. They knew that the government would always be there to back them up financially. They really now need to delineate what's public service broadcasting, what is the commercial sphere, and they need to make some really big decisions in respect yeah. of it, as do government. See, I, I, I remember when all this flip-flop stuff came out and I was thinking, lots of commercial organisations do all sorts of things to woo their advertisers. And Geraldine O'Leary may have got a bad rap because having generated in 10 years 1.8 billion of revenue, and sometimes you have to you know, spend a bit of money, frivolous money, perhaps, to... That happens in every media yeah, but business. Yeah, I'm like, let's be very clear. So one of the things that's emerged this week is we're hearing about not just the high flyers and the big earners, but we're also learning that RTE is, uh, you know, they're, they're not a brilliant employer for, employer for people who are low paid. They're also... But that is the elephant in the room, isn't it? Yeah, All of those people the who the, are the on these... The vast majority of people who work in RTE earn very, very normal wages. And they also have a problem with uh, bogus self-employment that they need to address. So in any plan, there has to be a plan that deals directly with the with the workers. And, you know, I heard the, uh, the NUJ rep on the radio during the week saying that they found out um, about some of the some of these revelations they found out through the media. I mean, that's just not acceptable. So whatever the plan is, it has to involve all of the workers. And we need to stop talking just about the small few high earners. And of course, the, the eyewater and salaries, people are going to want to talk about that. And look at the fact that there's people starting an RT on 24 grand a year. You can't live on that, do you know. And there's also issues around bogus self-employment. So they need to engage very deeply. There's a good union structure in RTE. It looks like to have been bypassed to a certain extent. There needs to be real engagement from senior management with the yeah. workers there. Now, one of the things, uh, Elaine, that happens in an organisation which is dual funded is that you don't really know what's subsidising what. Mm-hmm. So you don't know, uh, you know, does 2FM, for example, wash its face with advertising or is it dependent on the licence fee uh, to part fund it? Uh, on the other hand, if the entertainment sector is making lots of money, is it cross subsidising uh, some of the news gathering activities? That's not transparent. And I remember when I was on the authority years ago, I was advocating that they should actually say, this is what we spend the licence fee money on and this is our commercial activity and this is what we spend that on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, let the them lines got it. very blurred, Pat, the lines yeah. got very, very blurred. Well, no, they didn't do it. You in, know, the, yeah, the, but I mean, in, in, in an organisation where there is dual funding, there's actually a need for uh, an extra layer of transparency, which is clearly not there, you know. So I, I, I would agree with you, there's, there should be mm. uh, full disclosure in terms of, you know, what is and what isn't. But we also need to look at the, the, the public service element of RTE. That's not going to make money. That's not supposed to be commercial. That is news, current affairs, uh, documentaries, 
some entertainment. You know, that is also really important. Some of the arts promoting, activity promoting which will Irish, never Irish artists, wash its promoting face. Irish music, all that is really important in the job of the national broadcaster. So I wouldn't want to get into a situation whereby we're saying, well, this makes a load of money, so it's just going to be, you know, wall to wall, um, you know, entertainment programmes or whatever, and we're not going to do any current affairs. I think we need to look at the, the value of the current affairs. Like if you talk to people, a lot of people say to you, well, sure, I don't watch the telly anymore. Well, except for news now, I would watch the news. And, and Ireland then, playing France. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the people do still uh, do still watch the watch the television. But I think we need to be, you know, to protect that public service remit. That's that's incredibly important. And I think after this week, especially, but even going back to the previous week where Cabinet discussed ORT, Kevin Backhurst now needs to come up with with a plan but a big bang plan because I think measures that once would have been accepted by the government as progress will not cut it anymore and I yeah. think ministers around the cabinet table last week did mention that they were underwhelmed by the mood music coming mm. from uh, RT yeah. mm. today. One of the things that uh, the, the chairwoman said was that um, some of the things that they're talking about in their broad discussions might not be liked of by course, the stakeholders, yeah. including, obviously, uh, the politicians. Now, uh, both the Taoiseach and the Thornished were quick uh, to, to move in on the idea of selling the land yeah. and both said there'll be no pressure. Yeah. You know, it, it, Michal Martin said, not a good idea sometimes to sell land. You know, what have you got at the end of it? Maybe very little to show for the 100 million that Karen Holmes uh, paid up. Um, that the, the Taoiseach said there would be no pressure well, to sell the site and it's in your constituency. Yeah, I know. And I think there needs to be a delineation of functions. It shouldn't be the function of politicians to be saying to Kevin Backhurst, oh, you should sell the land, you should open studios here or there. Like that's man- their management issues and operational issues for RTE. And I think it's important that politicians don't start directing RTE as what it can and can't do in respect of the sale of land. It's a matter for him. It's in my constituency. Obviously, it's profitable land, but it's a matter for RTE to decide what to do with that land. But let's be clear about it. Selling the land isn't going to solve the problems, the financial problems that RTE has. We need to have recurring, reliable uh, income coming into RTE so that it's sustainable on a long-term basis. Selling the land, as the Tanisha said, it might be a short-term solution to inject capital. It's not a long-term solution. Yeah, and how much of that uh, capital then would have to go to rebuild a facility? And there'd be all these arguments of why does Norty b- build the property itself and start renting out the property? We can't get involved in that. Let RTE deal with those yeah. issues and themselves. But they Kevin really need to show the leadership. He didn't on it. want to have any compulsory redundancies and even on any redundancies voluntary, he said he couldn't afford them at the moment because all redundancies involve certain compensations. Yeah, they do and naturally so because that's the law of the land. Um, but I think at this stage, what he needs to be doing rather than talking to the workers about redundancies compulsory or otherwise is he needs to be actually having a proper dialogue with the workers, putting people who are contractors who essentially are uh, should be treated as, as employees because that's effectively what they are, making sure that they get brought in, that they end the practice of bogus self-employment yeah. for contractors. And we know that that's, uh, that that's a rampant practice and also that they look at the, the pay structure. So there might be people at the very top as I say, high flyers, small percentage of them making an absolute fortune. But the people who are uh, the low earners in RTE, yeah. I mean, really, you can imagine what they feel like, you know, watching all of this dialogue, watching this discourse. Well, part and then part of the dilemma day, also you know? is that mixture of contractors who are genuinely contractors mm-hmm. uh, compared to the bogus ones uh, who have no security. And the reason they're paid more is basically they can be dropped. You're only as good as your last show kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when the, the some proposal that everyone should be on staff, but what happens if someone stops performing on air and they're now on staff and you're stuck know, with them until they're 65? Any, any organisation now, Pat, has uh, performance and, and, you know, appraisal and systems like that that are that are contained within it. That's to be worked out directly in, in consultation with the, with the unions. But, like, really, if a person is, 
you know, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. If somebody is effectively operating as if they were an employee, well, then they shouldn't be held at arm's length and kept out of that status simply because somebody thinks it might be convenient or, you know, it might be awkward if at some point in the future they don't perform. There are systems in place, performance management systems that can be put in place and they need to be utilised. God, you're making me think of having spent 40 years in RTE, maybe I'm entitled to a pension. <laughs> we can talk off air, Pat. <laughs> All right, I want to move on to a r- rather more uh, serious matters, I suppose, because it's unprecedented in Ireland that uh, the guard, the commissioner, uh, should be sanctioned by the GRA with a vote of no confidence, Elaine. Yes, and I think this will impact uh, not only the Gardaí and senior members of the Gardaí, but also Fine Gael, who are in power now and are known as the party of law and order, and Helen McEntee, now the Justice Minister. So it'll be interesting to hear what uh, backbench TDs and senators have to say about what has happened, not just in the the, the past week with that vote, um, but in recent weeks we've had a number of issues, you know, the, the incidents in Dublin's north inner city uh, of Obviously, we've had deaths on the road. They're all linked to the Department of Justice and um, whether there is a bit of an, an ease or in growing tensions there uh, within Fine Gael because they do put so much weight on that being their area of expertise and something they've been proud to come out on uh, before. But certainly it, it puts the Gardaí and the Gardaí Commissioner in a very difficult position at a difficult time. Louise? 13 years of Fine Gael Justice Ministers and uh, and this is, you know, there is a crisis in on Garda Síochána. Um, I was earlier on uh, in in August, I went down and I met with workers who work in uh, the city here in Dublin city centre and they're telling me that they they feel unsafe. They feel unsafe coming to work on public transport. They feel unsafe going home if it's dark or locking up, certainly on their own. They're absolutely terrified of, of having to do that. What they want is a visible guard of presence. Now, that needs, uh, there needs to be recruitment. But at the moment, we know that while there is a, a small amount of recruitment happening, there's also resignations. And that's something that you never saw in the guards before, you know, in, in rare enough instances. But, you know, generally, guardies start and they finish out uh, their, their career until retirement age. But they're actually seeing resignations designations now from on Garda Síochána. So it's clear, you know, Fine Gael, they, they like to tell themselves that they are the party of, of, of law and order and all of that. But I mean, the facts absolutely contradict that. Could you see Sinn Féin getting a justice portfolio in a coalition? Yes. Because absolutely. there are people, as you know, have articulated well, you know, that you it, shouldn't. At the end of the day, uh, it is a matter for the Taoiseach to appoint ministers. And uh, when... When? If it's a coalition, though, it, it is always a, a oh, horse trade, and, isn't it? You know, and there's always negotiation, absolutely. But at the end of the day, it is the job of Antishock to provide uh, to appoint ministers. And you know, when Mary Lou Macdonald, not if, when Mary Lou Macdonald is Taoiseach, that will be her job. Elaine, you want to come in there? I think seriously. the bigger question is probably to ask Jim O'Callaghan uh, across the table from us here. Would Fianna? She's Fall, trying to take your job, Pat. Would, would, <laughs> she's welcome. To her. Off you go, Elaine. Would Fianna Fáil uh, stomach? Sinn Féin in the justice portfolio if they're in coalition. Okay, but actually can I just answer your question first, Pat, because the issue you raised was the vote of no confidence in the Garda Commissioner and obviously a representative organisation can't dictate leadership in the force but it is alarming that 99% of rank and file Garda said they don't have confidence in the Commissioner. That's a vote that simply can't be dismissed or ignored and that there needs to be a recognition by all stakeholders and that means you know all TDs the Commissioner, Senior Management in Garda Shikon, that we need to try to introduce measures to rebuild confidence within the force. Like, mm. That's a problem. I'm, I'm just wondering, Kevin Backer seemed to take his uh, bidding from the staff in RTE and getting rid of Tuberty. So, uh, 
you know, if if well, like, if, Drew I did, if Drew Harris was to take his bidding from uh, the staff, he'd stand down. Would one you thing know? I did notice about well, I don't think you can have staff dictating the, the, the level of of interest in it. So obviously, in my my previous role, I would have conducted postal ballots. They're really, really hard to do. It's really hard to get people to return a postal sure. ballot. I was actually, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it to me the level with which uh, and the the response rate quite out of line with what would be, you know, normally you're usually looking at, you know, fifty to fifty five percent return. But this was a this was a huge return and you know a, a massive vote so I think you know the senior management Okay but Garda since Chiacana you anticipate since you anticipate Mary Lou being in government as, as Taoiseach would she insist on Drew Harris standing down if uh, such a vote happened during her term? No because it's not the job of the, the rank and file Gardaí to dictate the leadership but it is the job of rank and file Gardaí to represent their members and they don't have a forum to do that currently they say that they're not being listened okay. to when they when they talk and they need to have that forum right. and they it's important. We have a tendency in Ireland to personalise issues on one individual. Now the concentrations on Drew Harris, he's not the issue here. Even if we change the commissioner, we're still going to have the same problems in regard to Shiakana. At, at its fundamental level, we have a problem with rec- recruitment. We've only 13,800 guards. It was the same as 20 years ago when we had a population of around 1.4 million less. So we need to recruit more people into the Gardaí. He, he obviously needs to look at the whole roster issue. It's not, it's not a matter that politicians should be getting involved in, but it's obviously a huge issue that's disaffecting but numbers all, of Angarda All he wants to do is go back to what he had before. And, you know, the, the new roster that happened during the pandemic was actually nicer in terms of working for many of the force. They preferred only working four days instead of a five-day week. That's how it boils down to it. They don't want to go back to the old. Well, it's an industrial, so it's it's an industrial relations yeah, they, issue between the commissioner exactly. and the Guardi, and between them, they need to be able to resolve it without no. politicians but jumping my, in. But my this. co-presenter's question. Uh, she presents quest. very well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I want uh, uh, an answer to that. Would you be happy? Were you, first of all, uh, are you willing to co- consider the possibility of coalition with uh, Sinn Féin because your party leader... Uh, says the policies are inimical on many levels and in many areas. So that's the first question. And secondly, in a coalition, would you accept uh, a Sinn Féin Minister for Justice? Well, listen, the answer to the first question is my view is that Fianna Fáil should contest the next election on our own record and on our own manifesto. We should stop talking about other parties. We should talk about Fianna Fáil uh, yeah, yeah, and why yeah, it's but, so important the, for this country to have a centre-ground national party. He, what he said was that Sinn Féin would not be their first choice. That was the word. I, I was taken by that. And, uh, can, can I then conclude the answer is after the election then we should be prepared to discuss government formation with any parties which have compatible policies and we should do that after the election. We should not mm. be definitive in ruling okay. people in or ruling people out. Okay, so you're not ruling we, it out. We did that before 2020. We ruled out Fine Gael, We ruled out Sinn Féin. Didn't work for us. We're better off going into the election talking oh. about Fianna Fáil. So the second question, hypothetical, would uh, uh, Sinn Féin Justice Minister be acceptable to you? Well, that's a matter for the Taoiseach and the party leaders at the time who will determine who's in government. You and Louise are at one on that particular note. But you'd have no principled objection. Well, sorry, if Fianna Fáil were in government, I would have thought that Fianna Fáil should take the justice portfolio. I would have thought that's essential no matter, who, no matter who we're in government with. Fianna Fáil should take the justice portfolio after the next election if we go into government. But you didn't want it this time. Is it, will it be different in, in a year? But the, the Taoiseach was, your, was the leader of your party and he didn't take the, the justice. Well, party. there were all sorts the op- of reasons. Saying, the opportunity was Sorry, there. Had he not taken he housing or health, you would have been criticising him for that, Louise. So these are matters to be determined after an election. No, I'm, but I'm let's not get back. On, on Once again, let's not get bogged down on personalities and individuals. Let's talk about the principle of it. 
And the principle of it is that Fianna Fáil should go into the next election on our own record, on our own manifesto, try to get the most votes we can mm. by appealing to the public as a centre ground national party. All right. Well, uh, time will tell. Um, uh, elections not too far away, local, European and uh, ultimately uh, a general election. Um, the Green Party in the polls not faring that well. And yet a lot of the, the, the noise that's made is about, you know, the world burning, uh, the planet on fire, as Ursula von der Leyen said uh, the other day. But when we introduce green initiatives, whether it's to do with nitrogen or something, there's a rebellion. And I'm wondering how you all feel about uh, the notion of cleaning up Dublin for bicycles and pedestrians. Elaine? Yeah, well, you certainly go around some parts of Dublin city centre and it is not bicycle friendly. And I think that's been reiterated time and time again by campaigners. Um, and But as you said, the minute Dublin City Council try to do something about it and make it more pedestrian, more cycle friendly, you do get the backlash and, and complaints that Dublin is already in gridlock. Um, so it is a difficult one for... So, so for politicians uh, to decide. So uh, let's uh, go to you, Louise. The question of... Can you support an initiative like that, knowing that uh, going for green uh, agendas often loses your votes? But I think if you give people a realistic alternative to the car, they'll take it. If you give them uh, an alternative that is going to turn up on time and get them where they need to go, I think they'll take it. I think town centres where there are fewer cars are much more pleasant places to be. So when we talk about Dublin city centre and we talk about the issues that are there, part of the problems are that it's not a pleasant place to be all of the time. So, you know, Mm. and cars make a massive contribution uh, to that. So a place that is nice to walk around, to cycle around, is also a place that is nice to be. So you have that, what they call in in retail circles, that dwell time. So you're in the town centre, you're in the city centre, you're coming in because it's a pleasant place to be. You're spending money, you're spending time. That requires facilities. So it's not just about bikes, it's about safe places to park your bikes, it's about pedestrianisation and it's also about facilities in the city. But if that plan were, would you be supporting it then if this new plan, which will come into effect maybe in two and a half, three years time... Oh, I, I absolutely. I'm an advocate for uh, pedestrianisation and for bike lanes. I'm a cyclist who would be terrified to cycle in uh, in Dublin. When I cycle in Dublin city centre, I do find it quite scary. I do think there's a lot we can do to make the city centre a lot more okay. pleasant for people. Jim? Yeah, I would support it. But there's a bigger question, Pat. And I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. Dublin lacks political leadership. If you look at the other great uh, cities of Europe, London, Amsterdam, Hamburg, they all have strong political leadership. That's because they have elected mayors in those cities that run those cities. That There were issues in Dublin during the summer about safety in the city. If that was in Amsterdam or in Berlin or in Hamburg, they'd be pointing to the mayor saying, what are you doing for public safety uh, in the city centre? Yeah, but they so would we, have an involvement in transport and in I policing. Know, absolutely. Which, you know, we don't have that here. are reluctant to ha- uh, hand over that is to an elected That is mayor. correct. But we do need, Dublin needs strong political leadership. And also, I think when we see the proposals for the transport changes like people talk a lot about change in politics a lot of people dislike change a lot of people don't like the idea of things changing but people need to have an open mind to this I think it'll improve the city if we get more open places there it's a fantastic city people love come to work here to shop here to visit here okay, and we so need to make it broader The politicians among us are in favour of uh, this initiative Improving as long as it's done city. well as long as it's done well Louise will you watch The Late Late tonight? 
with um, Patrick. I, I tend not to watch the, the Late Late because uh, Friday night, uh, myself and my husband usually try to go out. It's our one night of the week. But if I'm in, I, I probably will watch it and I'll certainly be interested to see who's on it. Like, uh, I think it's better not to have announced it as, you know, announcing it on Thursday. I already know who's going to be on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see who's going to be on it tonight. All right, yeah. OK, Elaine. I think that's a, a good point to pick up on from Louise. There is a, an element of secrecy and I just come from the, the Sinn Féin thinking where Mary Lou MacDonald was asked, is she on it or has she been asked to go on it to appear on it now she said she hasn't so we know she won't be on it tonight <laughs> but apart from that uh, they really have left us in the dark and, and in suspense so I think people might have be tuning a in for that reason Another question yeah. Jim will you watch well, it? I, I won't because I'm going out tonight but I would otherwise but I will try and look at it and in fairness to Patrick Heald he mightn't be aware of it but the burden on his shoulders now is much greater than he would have thought when he got this job because a lot of people associate the Late Late Show had been the flagship for RT and there's a big responsibility on him to make people watch this and look at it and say, actually, it's not a bad organisation. It deserves support. Well, I had 10 years of it and the best and fun great in broadcasting I had, I have to say. Challenging, but great fun. And I wish Patrick Keelty the very best in uh, uh, taking over the torch uh, from Ryan. So. Paddy Keelty, good luck to you tonight. Now, a reminder that our items from today are uploaded as podcasts, which you can listen to on the Newstalk app, powered by uh, Go Loud. My thanks to Louise O'Reilly, to Jim McCallum and Elaine Lachlan uh, for joining us on the show today. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.